0: Just as the usual Polish greeting goes, welcome to the Flick Lab, episode seven. I'm Karri, the name whose pronunciation is best exemplified by the Indian spice. Um, My co-host must be craving and ravenous for blank, pale, emotionless latex masks. He's back with a vengeance. His name is Henrik. Hi.
1: Thank you. Yep, here. (laughs) What happened (laughs) here? The typical chaos. (laughs) Okay Yeah, this is the famous episode Where we are actually going with the gimmicks (laughs) Like the rest of this deceased franchise It's got big gimmicks from this day on
0: So this is the infamous seventh episode And we have read both this article About the curse of the seventh episode But this means that... uh, Most of the, or many of the podcasts end abruptly after the seventh episode. We hope not to disappoint you and we'll carry on with the show next week as per usual.
1: Yeah, whether we actually managed to bully through the curse of the seventh, we can all see that in the next week. We are still kind of on the frying pan with this one.
0: We are, and... uh, This is like the curse of podcasts And the next episode would be the curse of Michael Myers However, today we are checking out the Halloween 5 The Revenge of Don Shanks (laughs) Uh, Kind of a weird uh, Swiss-French horror
1: Well, it's it's something, all right I don't know what it is, but (laughs) It's an hour and a half long I can vouch for that one.
0: <laughs> it's an hour and a half long piece of cellulose. and Well, um, how's your history with Halloween 5? The Revenge of Michael Myers. I've seen it
1: only twice b- before this one. This is my third time with Halloween 5. The first time I saw it, it was one of the retro releases of future films VHS lineup, which came out at the same time that they released the VHS version of the H20. There was a huge push to have the entire franchise back at the store shelves at that time. So I first saw Halloween 5 during the release, uh, the VHS release, re-release, and then later on something like four years afterwards when I tried to see if it was as bad as I remembered and it was and <laughs> now uh, after years of not seeing the film I once again had to see it again for this podcast to see if it was as bad as I remembered it, that it was and well <laughs> it's it's still pretty fucking <laughs> bad
0: I have to admit yeah <laughs> I believe I first saw these movies when my sort of (laughs) infamous grandmother who lets me watch all kinds of crazy films, she let me to go to a video rental store, and I'm not sure where it was, but it's not important for this podcast, but maybe it was like Malmin Kartano or Bukimaki. Anyway, there was a rental store, and... She rented for me four and five Halloweens. And being the nice guy that I was, I, of course, immediately went home and copied this to my own VHS. (laughs) (laughs) When I saw Halloween four and five for the first time, of course, I was relatively young. I believe I, I was in the ballpark of 13 or 14 years old or younger. So, of course, this was the... Greatest thing since sliced bread Uh, (laughs) And now For the awkward part How old were you? I guess I must have been somewhere Around the same age But you already saw that it was Complete shit I had
1: my fair suspicions Already way back then Yeah. Thanks to the incredible Number of fake outs That this movie has when it comes to the scares Yeah, well
0: I kind of overreacted there. There are some redeeming qualities about this movie. But even then, when I was younger, I could see that this wasn't exactly delivering on the kind of suspense and uh, the certain atmosphere that I would grow to expect from Halloween after seeing Halloween 1 and 2. Yeah, I guess the most disappointing or the most
1: troubling sign for me... Even at that age, was the kind of already tired and cliche psychic link plot that this movie has.
0: Yeah, I wish they could have had even Dwight Little and the original writer for or the writer for Halloween 4 to try their skills on Halloween 5, but I believe they were both working on some other projects, so they were unavailable. And then again, Dwight Little already said that uh, he thought that it was just a good idea to leave it alone. We, we got it right first time, and let's just stop here. So, unfortunately, the scriptwriters for Halloween 5 didn't even continue in the same spirit as what was built for Halloween 4. Halloween 5 is not taking the direction that you would most likely assume would take place in Halloween 5 instead... There is no evil Jamie, the, it's just rolled under the carpet and we're given some kind of a <laughs> different approach completely. So it's, they are kind of trying to avoid the whole thing as much as possible.
1: Yeah, well, to Halloween 5's defense, this movie still does carry over that Michael Myers as an anti-hero aspect from Halloween 4. Since, in, in Halloween 4, you could make the case that Michael Myers is an, perhaps kind of an anti-hero, because he's trying to stop Jamie during the film and preventing him from doing that is what ends up badly for everyone in that film and in here, all the characters or all the teenagers are so goddamn obnoxious that you just hope that Michael m- manages to kill them all. <laughs>
0: Yeah, what did I say a few episodes ago about them trying their best to make the characters obnoxious even though they are supposed to be our leading heroines? What's up with that?
1: Yeah, I didn't remember that they were this bad. And honestly, when I first signed up doing this Halloween movie lineup for this podcast, uh, like, I, I remember that there was something off, but but they, it was this bad situation.
0: yeah okay for the movie's defense at this time around i actually did like something like the cinematography that i wasn't very hot on for the halloween 4
1: how the hell did you like cinematography here but not in halloween 4
0: this movie is uh, considerably darker and they make a better use of the shadows but then again uh, the Movie is kind of set in the especially in the beginning in in the daytime, and it's kind of weird to see Michael Myers strolling around so much in pure daylight, but apart from that, the cinematography is darker, the music is darker, albeit the soundtrack is kind of a mess. It's done by the same guy again, Alan Howard,
1: yeah, except that this time he forgot how to use a keyboard.
0: This time he forgot to use the keyboard It's weird If you listen to this soundtrack He's just kind of Mismashing Just throwing different elements on top of each other And it's not very listenable To be quite honest But that said I like some of the The new cues that he has going on But not a big fan of Halloween Five soundtrack
1: I, I like the moments when the soundtrack is absolutely quiet
0: <laughs> So Halloween 5 is Directed by Dominique Othnan-Girard. You heard that? No. Damn it. Okay, I have to try my best French then. Uh, (laughs) My friend who was thinking of being part of this podcast before, he gave me an audio recording of how to pronounce the goddamn director's name. So it's Dominique Othnan-Girard. there you go.
1: Yeah I I, yeah, I guess, yeah, I I can't see what's so difficult in that.
0: <laughs> so, Dominique Offanen-Girard um, is a director who has directed only a few movies, none of them very successful.
1: Yeah, th- th- the mastermind behind the absolutely worst Omen film that not even those poor souls who still liked Omen 3 could tolerate and than that one lackluster erotic thriller. Like, that's the guy who was at the helm of this movie.
0: Yeah, uh, this guy was born to a family of an artist-painter. His dad was a painter. Uh, Dominique was born in Switzerland, but he has also some kind of French origins. And finally he landed some filming... Adventures in Hollywood, and the rest is history.
1: Yeah, here you really see that the director must be some kind of a Swiss-French, since if you start to poke holes to this movie, you end up with a Swiss cheese.
0: <laughs> what was the movie again, which made the producers very excited about Dominic othonen I
1: I would have to say it's After Darkness, his only not TV movie before Halloween
0: 5. Yes, you're correct. Was this movie like on some film festivals? There was kind of a... uh, It wasn't like a run-of-the-mill. It was uh, relatively known, I believe. Well, it it was known for the fact that it had John Hurt and...
1: At the time, hot name Julian Sands in it.
0: Yeah. This tickled the fancy of Mustafa Akkad and... He was on board for Halloween 5. I guess it's time to kind of start to check out this movie... ...somewhat scene by scene. So we start with a watermelon pumpkin.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that they, was bad. That, that was... Like, <laughs> we, we start with the opening credits... ...and it's a dumpster fire
0: already. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed, but... ...it's really funny to know that... ...they didn't have any pumpkins available for them... ...at the, that time of the year, so... ...they had to go with a watermelon, actually. That being said, the opening titles sequence might be the best part about Halloween Five.
1: I I would not go uh, uh, that far de- defending them because I absolutely hate hate that cutting sound effect that they have posted on top of the soundtrack during the credits.
0: Yeah, I guess that's just mostly like Alan Howard, and I like the end of the. Uh, title sequence where you see the (laughs) cut up watermelon and the music goes pretty nicely with the events of the Halloween 4 when they are playing them back again you get kind of pumped for what's to follow
1: Yeah, seeing leftover clips from Halloween 4
0: yes and uh, in fact in this Halloween 5 we now see at least one shot that was not used for Halloween 4 but for some reason it was used for Halloween 5 which is the part where the cops throw the dynamite into the mineshaft.
1: Yeah, which seeing it in Halloween 5 makes no sense that they cut it out from Halloween 4. Because Halloween 4 actually has quite lackluster way for Michael going down. I mean, granted, they shoot like a million bullets to the guy, but this is still the dude who has managed to walk off being shot repeatedly and that's that's the ending you have for Halloween 4. They use bullets. Yeah. And, yeah, and then, you know... It w- could have helped Halloween 4's ending... If they would have kept the dynamite part... In that movie also. Correct. But no, they cut it out... And now they insert it to Halloween
0: 5. I cannot understand that. No. Ever since I was a, was a kid, like... He can withstand fire, explosions... Several bullets, and now they throw bullets into his body again. And even Sam Loomis is completely convinced that he is where he belongs and dead.
1: Yeah, he fall into a pit, so
0: he must be dead. Yeah, totally absurd. Well, we finished the Watermelon Pumpkin opening. And apparently the river that Michael is swimming through is supposed to be some kind of underground cavern, at least if you go by the script. I kind of thought that it was some um, kind of outside, and not in any cavern. What's your take on that? How did you interpret that?
1: To me, it was always just some lonely her- hermits, witches, cave. Yeah, which made no fucking sense at all. Like, yeah, I I know, I know that behind the scenes. And in the scripts there is the whole mention about the hermit guy being some kind of a uber cult member, Dr. Blood, or what was his name? Yeah, Dr. Death. Dr. Death, yeah. But none of of that comes off from the final product. The film Halloween 5 presents him simply as some kind of a hermit that lives in a hermit's cave, I guess, which has a ton of candles and open fires and everything that you would see in some kind of a low fantasy witch's cabin. The interior design is all over the place for this hermit character.
0: Yeah, immediately it gives the vibe of some kind of French uber-stylized bullshit scene and they well, actually
1: it, it gives you an image of bullshit scene i oh, wouldn't yeah. necessarily make the claims
0: for it being any French. and they actually shot this scene first with some younger guy who was supposed to be the actual doctor death and well i guess we are left to assume that all of these absurd things that are mentioned in the script were filmed at the time but this was replaced with this older guy who is just some kind of Hermit in cave, perhaps, or just somewhere outside by the river. Beautiful, beautiful river. And then it just so happens that the hermit clearly takes care of Michael for one year in his house.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to put yourself in the guy's shoes here. Like you are a hermit living in living in a weird witch's cave, and all of a sudden this masked multiple gunshot victim breaks into your cave and tries to kill you at the first sight. So, of course you are gonna take care of him. Like, ain't that the most logical thing to do? Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking about hermits doing illogical things.
0: Yeah, that helped a lot. (laughs) God... (laughs) There's going to be a lot of moments like <laughs> this. There, there, there's going to be a
1: lot of beer
0: in this one. <laughs> oh yeah, about the drink of Halloween 5. I couldn't figure out what kind of beer they are drinking in Halloween 5, but what is absolutely clear is that there is at least three boxes of beer.
1: Yeah, it it, it has to be some kind of American beer that is, that's easy to steal from even the cheapest of food
0: markets. Yep. Yeah. Which kind of beer did you choose for this episode?
1: I just went with Miller.
0: Miller, okay.
1: Yeah, I, did I, you
0: also buy the six pack of Miller?
1: No, I I can't take a six pack of Miller anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm just w- desperately waiting that we manage to get end of Halloween franchise. I get I can <laughs> get rid of American beer for a while.
0: Actually, I liked Miller. It's a little bit like Corona, soft. And it suits me.
1: Yeah, Corona is another beer that doesn't actually taste.
0: But this is like leftovers from Halloween 3. Or, no, your Millers.
1: No, no, I I actually mm-hmm. w- went through all, all my beers already in Halloween 3 and <laughs> just making that one <laughs> episode. <laughs> I see. I'm, I'm starting to feel that I have a problem. <laughs> but not, people, not with beer. Me and alcohol, we can come
0: very nice together. But you and alcohol and Halloween sequels.
1: Yeah, yeah, There, there's... Is, there is, the three is too much here.
0: At this point, we got to Jamie having this involuntary movement. And <laughs> apparently, <laughs> Michael is somehow psychically connected with Jamie. And Jamie can experience what Michael is experiencing. Therefore, being able to tell where he roughly is and what is he doing so on and so forth. So now it's uh, starting to get from this relatively still sort of kind of grounded boogeyman tale to uh, some kind of a witchcraft story.
1: Yeah, I mean, 4, 5, and 6 are commonly known as the Thorn Trilogy yeah. based on the Thorn card that
0: sh- shows up Although it's kind of unfair for Halloween 4 because it's still, it's watchable and it still doesn't bring all of this thorn crap into it. Except for the fact that of course Jamie goes a little crazy in the end and uh, well, I guess I was never too crazy about the fact that she went crazy in Halloween 4. But of course it was a great moment of excitement and very scary and well-made scene and all this music and Donald Pleasant's going, no, no! It's very dramatic and wonderful ending. It's incredibly
1: unfair to uh, to Halloween 4 to count it as part of this Thorne bloodline. Because the whole cult aspect is nowhere to be seen in Halloween 4. Basically, you know, uh, Jamie stabbing her stepmother at the end of the film can be seen and to me it always was just this genetically inherited madness that just managed to skip uh, one generation and then landed on Jamie the whole Thorn plotline really comes to play in Halloween 5
0: and they didn't even know what they were doing So if we talk a little bit about the Man in Black, also played by Don Shanks, mostly, they didn't know what the fuck they were going to do with this character. They just implemented something that they felt was missing from this movie, so they decided, okay, let's add this mystery element to kind of make it more interesting, I guess, more to add some kind of a deeper plotline to it all. Indeed, at the end of filming, at the end of release, they still didn't know what they were going to do with this character until Halloween 6 when Joe Chappelle and company actually, they had to simply justify all the shit that happened in Halloween 5. The Man
1: in Black is a classic example of you trying to fix something that you feel is wrong, but you don't know exactly what that is. While you are actually filming the film already
0: Well I thought it was like something that they just Came up at the Set and which Probably could be the case Well the uh, script that I read Is the second draft from 31st of March 1989 <clears throat> And in this version The man in black actually does Appear To an extent There's maybe less scenes for him But he's there But uh, we all okay. know that it was it was kind of pulled out of their asses. The version I heard, I have heard, is
1: that they knew that the movie was lacking something. Couldn't point the finger what it was. And then near the sets when people were gathering wh- to watch them making this film, there was this one guy who repeatedly showed up to follow the filming process and he was dressed in all black and had this black station hat on him and that, that was the part where director finally picked up on the idea of implementing this man in black character into the film and uh, as far as I've gathered basically the whole crew was quite worried about them making these hasty changes into the script and to the film while they were already filming the film. Don Shanks who ended up playing the man in black himself was wondering what the hell is going on with the character and what the crew is doing and even spoke out about his worry that the man in black does not make any sense and he was just told not to care about it just go with it and trust that it will make sense and it will come together when they finally have made the final cut and the movie is ready.
0: Yeah like it will make sense finally in Halloween 6 like this is like the pretty much the movie making ABC that you (laughs) Cannot do Because God knows that Halloween series Is already Full of these Ideas that are Left at the end Of the movie And then you are Left there To figure out How to Continue from there But yeah This might have Happened for different Reasons but here It's clear as day The series is Supposed to continue After this And all of the Responsibility to Figure out what The hell is going Actually on Is left for Halloween 6 crew this movie also by the way tanked badly and it took six years for them to figure out how the hell to continue with this and of course they went full retard with this plotline.
1: They are also known as the Ritler-Scott move these days in movie making.
0: Uh, that's pretty accurate. If IMDB is to be trusted at all in its trivia which it is probably not the man in black's wardrobe according to IMDB page is a uh, not to country music singer Johnny Cash, who often wore long black coats and black cowboy boots. So we have now traversed about four minutes into the movie and we're still going to have a lot of problems ahead in the starting moment. One thing you notice right from the get-go with the
1: hospital scene is that Mustafa is already cutting some corners since... None of the fucking light bulbs are actually turned on in the hospital.
0: Yeah, well, it was Mustafa himself who said that he would be doing these movies until the day he dies or something to that effect. And clearly, while not caring at all about the actual quality of the films that he's putting out. So we continue from the hospital scene. Jamie is having these involuntary movements, and uh, the nurse comes to her room and says this infamous line do you want me to call your mom now excuse me what the f- the mom or the stepmother has been stabbed at the ending of Halloween 4 I would have thought that she was dead at this point but this is kind of suggesting that she is still alive and yeah in, in fact if you check out this second draft script there is more material that alludes to the fact that She's actually still alive. But when you watch the movie, it's kind of a confusing moment. What does this mean? Who who, the mom? The mom that died in the car crash, uh, meaning Laurie Strode, or the stepmother that you just stabbed and probably doesn't want to be anywhere near you?
1: Yeah, those are the mysteries of Halloween 5. The revenge of Michael Myers. The revenge of plot holes.
0: Then Jamie writes on the chalkboard that he is coming for me. Later Loomis comes to her room and Loomis is still trying to force some answers out of her. It looks like nobody took a look at the chalkboard.
1: But good for Loomis for still hanging out at every possible hospital at weird times at night instead of, you know, just staying at home, drinking whiskey and watching Bonanza from TV. Like that's real dedication.
0: Yeah, and it's a real skill to come see Jamie just like that. And nobody's stopping this guy. He has literally no ties to Jamie except the events. But is that enough to get like a pass to move around freely like that? I don't think so.
1: These extremely random hours, just at the magical point when Jamie is having Caesar, Loomis just knows that this is the moment I have to rush into the hospital and... Every doctor just lets him hang around there. Even though Loomis is not part of this hospital staff. Or at least that point has not made clear to the audience since. Last we st- saw, saw Loomis, he was still working on Smith's Crow asylum.
0: Yeah, well Loomis must have been in the hospital previously and he must have made a spawn point next to the room. So... <laughs> He can be there whenever he's needed.
1: <laughs> he must have given that pure evil speech like 35 times until the hospital staff have gotten weary of him and just let him hang around at the hospital premises and talk to Jamie at weird times. Just so that, you know, if they don't let Loomis have his fun, they know that Loomis just coming back and giving that pure evil speech to them once
0: more. That's actually believable theory. That and Loomis has even more magical powers He knows that Jamie will not die And also knows that she has something to tell us But we never kind of know what We
1: can't know Because goddamn Jamie has lost her ability to speak in this film Just so that Mustafa doesn't have to pay Daniel Harris any extra money for line delivery
0: Yes and Loomis has lost his mind completely in this film Granted it's probably fair enough he has been through all of these incredible experiences of Halloween 1, 2, 4 and at this point he has like lost his mind.
1: He has seen the franchise
0: one time too many. From this, we turn into the morning scene and we meet our favorite person, Tina. God fucking damn it! Hey open up! <laughs> I
1: never sensible if I can help it!
0: <laughs>
1: this, this really is the point in the cartoon franchise where there's no likable character in the movie. We finally reach it.
0: I heard that the crew was kind of playing around with the idea of who is going to be the heroine of this movie. There was a thought that they would use Rachel as in place of Tina, and Tina would be in the place of Rachel which would have made a lot more sense, even though Rachel, <laughs> that that sounds really interesting. Can you imagine Rachel doing and being motivated by all those crazy things and leaving Jamie alone into the hospital and going to get her asshole boyfriend? Yeah, that, that would have not worked exactly like that, but even then it would have been more likable and more interesting than this setup.
1: Well, basically having your cavities examined would be more likable than sitting an hour and a half with Tina. Jesus
0: Jesus Christ! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what might have been the thought process to actually switch these roles and give the main heroine role for a new character that is not even likable and had previously nothing to do with anything? The rock is thrown to the window with the text... The evil child must die. They I- kind of ignore the threat on her life, and it's not Michael. They just think that it's okay that somebody's making threats to your life and be done with it. All these kind of weird moments, man. Yeah, a lot of them. Then we get to Michael stalking Tina and Sam behind uh, trees, which is absolutely
1: horribly absurd. Scene.
0: It is, and especially when I tell you more about this scene so Michael is talking in broad daylight barely behind the tree and if you noticed in your did you watch the VHS or something
1: I, more advanced? Yeah I watched the VHS
0: yeah so he's behind the trees behind his characters and he's just doing this 360 movement all the time sometimes Michael is looking at the ground sometimes he's looking up and at one moment he's actually dropping one of the, of the, one of the branches of the tree on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on
1: there? I, I never p- picked those small details on the, my copy of the film. But yeah, the Michael Myers behind the trees really is something to witness in this film. You, you can, you yeah. can see that the film tries to emulate the feeling of Michael being this looming presence over everybody by hiding him in the background of the scenes, but movie completely fucks it up. And this is the most obvious example of them screwing it up because in here, Michael looks like kind of a, this Shy, bullied little kid Who stays in the background Kind of like Okay, I wouldn't even wanna hang out with you guys
0: Yeah And then we get to Rachel Rachel is being Sexualized in this movie And if you watch the documentary You know that Dominique Othonen Girard Did I get it right? Said to Rachel actor Ellie Cornell That Be sexy Sexy
1: because that is something that we most definitely wanted more. The Halloween. Sexualized woman.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was all already the sexualized woman in this movie. And in Halloween 4. Now in Halloween 5, why do we have to sexualize Rachel? Every because,
1: single goddamn thing.
0: Yeah. She's supposed to be more of like this uh, Laurie Strode character in this movie a little bit.
1: Yeah, so, this girl from the next door type of character. Yeah. The typical, the typical, you know, the final girl.
0: Yeah, that's completely unnecessary and it makes her character kind of off, weird, different. And Rachel is not taking Loomis's call seriously even. And she's acting dumb even when the door is wide open. Stupidity kills and she gets killed. Then of course we get to clown cop music and the clown cops. Any thoughts on that? Uh, once again, I can't understand what the hell they were doing I- in this movie. Like, the
1: goddamn Keystone Cops are, are something that completely ruined the moment. And completely ruin... Well, they don't ruin the film entirely, but they hurt it pretty badly.
0: Yeah, just completely unnecessary. I think that would have been a fine scene without the all the... <laughs> ...comical nonsense music that Alan Howard was asked to put on the background. And there is
1: not even any explanation for any of those sound effects within the movie's universe. Like, there's nothing in that scene that would make those sounds, meaning that the audience is automatically going to pick up that it's just something that has been added to the soundtrack Without any rhyme or reason. It's distracting. It, and
0: extremely distracting. It's kind of undermining the intelligence of the crowd. The crowd can decide if the scene is... Okay, the, the mu- music and other elements can sometimes kind of improve, enhance uh, the effect of something that is wanted. But here it's just so over-the-top ridiculous, stupid... No, just would have been better without it. Would have been more subtle.
1: Yeah, and this interview given by Frank Como, who played one of the cops, and he said that he didn't even... He knew that his character is a comic relief character in this film. But when he was giving the role, he didn't believe that there would be any place for these comedic relief characters in a film that still tries to be a Serious horror movie And even with that in mind Como did not Know anything about Dominique's plans of Having these added sound effects Behind the scene He only became aware of those After the movie was released And he saw the movie himself And just like With Ellie Cornell's Character Rachel's Treatment in this movie haven't found not one statement from the cast that would approve the sound effects and would say that it was a good call to add those extra sounds in the in the scene. Yep,
0: looks like nobody liked it. Alan Howard, the characters who played the cops,
1: especially the audiences, didn't like it.
0: So we got again to one of uh, Loomis's ramblings. He's getting really creepy. He's banging the door on Billy in the hospital, and then he's again harassing Jamie to write, write, write something on the paper then there are some uh, historical logical errors Loomis goes to the cop station and says my memory goes back 12 years it should have been 11 years in fact in the script there is uh, the added uh, cemetery scene and there is also a mineshaft scene They go check out the mine shaft if any remains of Myers or any kind of evidence would be found. So now they're at the mine scene and Meeker says, Had your fill yet? Loomis seems troubled. There's no sign of cracking. Loomis says, One moment. Meeker says, You can stay out here all day if you want. I've got work to do. Loomis says, You'll have plenty of work if I'm correct. Meeker says, Just hoisted up a million pounds of concrete, climbed out, and plugged it right back up again. Loomis says. You don't know what you're dealing with here, Meeker. Meeker says. I know exactly what I'm dealing with. I started this morning placing flowers on my daughter's grave because of that man. Loomis says. It's not a man, Meeker. It's evil. Loomis. You laugh, but it's true. There are certain things beyond our ability to explain. Michael Myers is one of them. Something invaded that boy and squeezed the shred of humanity out of him. He is an agent of terror. Relentless and cold as old as the boogeyman he is the boogeyman something in Loomis's voice sends a chill through Meeker voiceover says Sheriff Meeker Meeker turns it's a young policeman they want you down at the cemetery so then they go to the cemetery and uh, Loomis says you think I need Michael the idea of Michael to live on Meeker says this doesn't prove anything Loomis just stares he's got all the proof he needs young patrolman says I don't get it why would anyone want a rotten old casket for? Meeker turns to him, disgusted. Meeker says, Get some extra units on the Craters girl, and for God's sakes, make them plain clothes. We don't want another panic. End quote. I think these scenes would have been pretty nice, because they kind of jump over the whole fact that Loomis has seen the casket and...
1: I really don't know, would that scene given anything to the movie? Except no. one more time Loomis giving his his pure evil speech. Yeah, spiel. Yeah, Loomis does not come into the contact with the casket later on in the movie. So Loomis himself would not need to know about this Michael reopening the
0: grave. As far as the speech goes in this scene, it's uh, just repeating the same old, same old stuff. So they should have tried to give some more originality to Loomis. Now it's just like a speech box of the same old quotes.
1: Yeah, the only part where Loomis kind of uh, differentiates from his old patterns and does something new is when he's rightfully angry at Jamie, who is holding back information on Michael in order to stretch this movie into the hour and a
0: half mark. Yeah. Then we got to Tina... Tina comes to the gardener's house and meets Max. It's one of my favorite quotes from the movie. jump. So, there are laser gun bursts coming out of Tina's mouth. She's supposed to be giving kisses to the dog, but it actually sounds like the lasers coming from the Moonraker weapons.
1: Uh, since you have the script in front of you at the moment, what are those actually written into the script or was that just something that the actor was improvising? Uh, because God damn it, if they wrote Tina to be exactly as obnoxious in the script.
0: Well, what I know from Tina is that the thing is that a lot of the things that she did she was just free to do whatever she wanted to do. So it was a lot of improvising for sure. But let me just check this scene if I can find it. Okay, in the script, Tina, loaded with shopping bags, trudges up the walk to the house. She tries the door, it's locked. She pushes the bell. Tina says, Rage! Through the windows we can see Tina head to the back door, Max chained in the backyard, lopes over toward her, straining at his chain. Tina says, Chill out, Max, I'll get you some water in a second. She kneels out of view, stands, we hear the sound of a key inserting in the lock as Tina opens the door and enters. Yeah, so it looks like it was super improvised once again.
1: Well, that's a shame. Because I would have actually loved the fact that it would have been written on the script all those extremely random noises that Tina makes throughout the movie.
0: Yeah. Goddamn. I'm gonna do a Tina laser music mix after this episode.
1: Maybe we have to rewrite the Halloween 5 script so that Tina's dialogue is now written in the exact form. So so
0: that her lines
1: go like Max <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Tina goes inside the house Says that Rachel I got you a present And Tina looks at the camera Yeah Which is supposed to be Michael's POV Looks at the camera For a small little second there
1: And also the audio Cuts off really abruptly In this scene but Like you get the background Ambient and then it just... All of a sudden it just... jump, And the ambient oh.
0: is gone. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a lot of editing problems in this movie.
1: Extremely a lot. Tremendously a yeah. lot of editing problems in Halloween 5. Which I really can't understand how the hell they were this choppy and this lazy in a movie that was still aimed at the theater re- release.
0: Another part of pure improvisation, I believe, is when Tina goes up the stairs... To the second floor. And she is completely nuts. Rachel! <laughs> when Tina exits the building, she turns one more time to look at the house. And Don Shanks is still in the frame. And he crappily kind of moves his ass a little bit more out of the frame. Uh, even then Tina is not able to see him. That's uh, pure hilarious stuff. Yeah, and then there are these weird cuttings when Tina and Sammy are talking with this relaxed music in the background, while they're intercutting with Jamie twitching in the bed. It's bizarre. What is this guy that is chasing Jamie in the cellars? It, it wasn't, I guess, the janitor, but... The...
1: Nobody, nobody can actually make any sense who that guy is. Because the movie, at the beginning of the basement, I, I don't know if it's a chase scene, but the movie tries to frame it as such. At the beginning of that scene, the movie frames the shadow as Michael Myers. And then there's that frantic Jamie running away from the shadow, during which there is the added audio effects on top of ambient, which is extremely annoying and schizophrenic as all hell. And then it just all of a sudden the janitor and the nurse just teleport into the basement and the scene ends.
0: It was a little different in this version of the script. There was more opening of doors and it was I think a small cabin or some very small room that Jamie went into instead of going like into this weird weird corridor with the light. Uh, Anyway, why is this janitor guy not saying anything? He's just chasing Jamie around the house, completely mute. Well, maybe jamie ha maybe he tried to talk to Jamie, but
1: Jamie has temporarily lost her hearing as a side effect for sniffing those marker prints at the one scene earlier
0: this <laughs> this scene with all the sheets where she's running and escaping the janitor this this was supposed to be some kind of artistic and very challenging scene, and it took a lot of time to film and Dominique was giving this artistic stuff and touch here. For me, it's just a lot of confusing shots that are cut very rapidly. I could believe that the
1: scene might have been difficult to pull off from the uh, following camera perspective. Like having the camera follow Daniel Harris at that way, that could have been difficult or hard for the crew to pull off planted. Yeah. yeah but the scene in itself really does not come together at all like you said it's it's edited completely choppily. it's a nightmare to watch the added audio effects does not make any logic at all and just distracts you from watching the scene
0: Yeah, if we jump a bit, especially the scene where Max is shown as dead and the dog is still making a barking sound. (laughs) I didn't even pick up that one. Yeah, must be some French stuff. We got back to creepy Loomis. Loomis is throwing tables around and scaring Jamie as much as possible. Why? Why are you protecting him?
1: Because this movie is a hour and a half long.
0: Uh, in this scene and many scenes it seems like even Donald Plissons hasn't got the goddamn idea what he's supposed to do and why is he acting like this yeah. I suppose he read the script but they were still even writing the script during the filming So,
1: in Donald's defense no one in the cast as far as I know had any sense on what was going on with the script yeah. like, because of visa problems Donald had to get his scenes shot within a week. And after that he would wrap up his part in the movie. As far as I've heard, no one, absolutely no one understood the script when they were shooting the film. Or at least the actors didn't understand the script they were acting on. And when, when the whole show kind of has started, the group had a partial screenplay. The script wasn't even finished at first, then they got another partial screenplay and started filming from there. At this point, they didn't even have a one full script. And during the filming process, I believe the director started to write... Some of his own additions. And even that wasn't good enough yet. So they brought fourth guy, you know, to write additions to the script. And uh, at the final point it's some kind of a Frankenstein's monster. With all these people having added something and cutting something off and just trying to stitch it together.
0: Which is quite obvious when they write Myers correctly in the script in the beginning and at the ending it's M-E-Y E R S. So with this added E. So Yeah. Oh dear. Carrying on. Which is a delight, because Myers Mansion.
1: Yeah that loving suburban home that does not look anything like the Meyer House. At god damn all. And as far as I've managed to piece together watching this film, it would appear to me that the fucking house can't keep its own interior architecture intact throughout this film. For me, it looks like the house kind of a magically has this one floor added to it. At the ending of the movie when they are inside the house And Jamie is trying to evade Michael in the Meyer house
0: Yeah, I heard from somewhere something that uh, They were actually unable to find a similar house As the original Michael Myers house Well, here's a suggestion Go to the fucking original filming location
1: Yeah, how about that?
0: But they were filming in Salt Lake City, I believe, this one as well for the most of it, yeah. But still, how are you not able to find even a little bit similar house, at least at the exterior? I mean, you can play games with the interior as much as you want, basically, but why do you have to fuck up the exterior as well? Especially this badly.
1: Because I can't believe that the original Meyer house... It, 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 that, that was that rare as a, you know, house design that the only possible uh, solution that they could have now that they can't go back to the original shooting location is this goddamn mansion.
0: Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous because it's a totally conscious decision to make that shot from the exterior as well. Why would you do that? You can find anything that looks at least slightly like the original house. Why can't you do that? It looks like a freaking... Gothic Moominland house.
1: Mm-hmm. And there was... I heard that there was some attempt to go into some kind of a gothic direction with this film, or having some kind of a gothic feeling, which maybe ties into the fact which, which you mentioned earlier, this movie being darker. Yeah. More darkly shot than Halloween 4 was.
0: Yeah. And... W- Then we have what is, I believe, just crappy camera work because the camera is just completely out of focus when the man in black is trolling around in the house at the same time as Loomis, of course, and he shows the sign of thorn. Or maybe it was meant to be like that, some kind of French thing. I don't know. Swiss-French, excuse me. Well, Loomis is laughing at the rat or whatever it is. Here we could talk about the script because This scene continues in the script. So this is the scene where the rat is coming out of the ventilator shaft. Quote, He reaches out cautiously, tugs lightly. The chewed door springs open. A dark form leaps out at Loomis. Loomis stumbles back, readies to shoot, but stops. On the floor, a rat squeaks away from the partially gnawed body of a cat, frozen in the final terror of its death, scratching out to break its fall perhaps. Loomis shakes his head, pushes the door up and latches it. He looks around for something to move the cat, when suddenly there's clattering upstairs. External shot, Myers House Street. Day. Several kids are tossing bottles at the house. The youngest is having trouble hefting his, when suddenly something comes flying down from over the front porch roof. It splats in the middle of the kids' They stare for a moment at the dead cat, then at the house. There's a split second before they run for their lives. Then, internal shot, Meyer's house upstairs day. Just out of view, Loomis watches them and smiles, pleased with himself. End quote. So they're kind of repeating the same stuff that happened in Halloween 1.
1: Pretty much, yeah. With Loomis being a bit more sadistic here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Throwing dead cats on the front porch. Yeah, a classical joke. (laughs) (laughs) Loomis is definitely losing his mind. So we cut to Mikey with his beautiful car that he is waxing and the camera is shown in the reflection of the car. Then we see Tina and Sam away from the car on the main road, walking and laughing. So it is absolutely not possible for Sammy and Tina to go startle Mikey behind the car because in the earlier shot they are farther away and no way to creep on behind the car from there unless they have some Michael Myers magical superpowers. So there's a lot of continuity and editing mistakes as we can see. Then we meet Spitz, baby I'm ready, blah blah blah.
1: Played by Matthew Walker who was the only actor... Oh, one of the few persons, actors in this, from this movie that didn't have to take several year long hiatus in their acting career. I mean, if you check Ellie Cornell's resume, she has a several year long gap when it comes to acting. The director has several years. As a gap, and he's been driven only back to the TV productions. Spitz is pretty much the only one that has managed to kind of have a stable resume, or one of the future actors from this project.
0: Yeah, as as far as these train wreck characters go, I think Spitz is the most likable of them.
1: Not at all.
0: But not counting the horrible laugh that he has.
1: But the horrible laugh is the only thing that he has.
0: That and also teasing Mikey, which I like. Well,
1: that was only one scene. Yeah. Uh, and not even proper teasing. After that, speech is responsible for most of the fake outs in this movie. Being one of the kind of a, the stupidest jackoff in this movie. And with these characters, it speaks a lot.
0: Yeah Nice wax job Touch the car again And you're dead Mikey's death scene Was longer You can also notice The cut in the film It's very visible When Mikey falls on the ground And Michael starts to pull him Away from the view
1: Yeah I always love how The basic chokehold Is something that Always cuts your movement off In mid swing Like it goes with Mikey who tries to hit Michael with the iron bar, and then Michael just grabs his throat, and Mikey's wing just
0: freezes. Yeah, the actor, Jonathan Chapin, Chapin, kept the actual, was it like a wax model of himself with this farm equipment in his head, but then his girlfriend or wife said that uh, this has to be (laughs) thrown to the trash. (laughs) I would... Also, you know, would like to have my
1: own death cast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Some weird cutting again when we get to the night scenes and uh, Tina is in the car of Mikey, but the actual, actual person driving the car is Michael, as in Myers, and the speech is not matching with the lip movements. So, terrible ADR. The line is, quote... Is it because I want to see Jamie? And nothing, Mike, that's what I get. Nothing. And the ADR is terrible here. And I'm wondering what was actually said originally on this tape. And I viewed this scene like 20 times in a row. And I came to the conclusion that it's nothing, Mike. That's um all. I get nothing. So maybe there was some... <laughs> Maybe the actor was a bit confused for a moment. Who knows?
1: But that scene actually is one of the better scenes in in this film. Yeah. And kind of a showcase of talent from Don Shanks, who still manages to create one of the only tense and atmospheric scenes in this whole movie, simply by his eye movement. <laughs> yeah. Like I I I have to tip my hat to that dude for that one.
0: Well, let's talk about the performance of Don Shanks. I'm not so impressed because all this uh, maybe it's also director's choice to wander around the trees in a nonsensical way. I didn't like the unmasking. I guess it's okay, but it kind of doesn't really get to the essence of the character from the past. No, not not a big fan.
1: Me neither. Like, I don't hate Don Shanks yeah. in this movie. I think he makes okayish performance. And when it came to stunt work and building bonds behind the sets and be- being a professional and giving all of yourself to this project, he did all that, I, I would say, pretty masterfully. And kudos for him for doing that, but at the same time, Don Shanks is once again an actor that was cast in the role of Michael Myers simply because of his walk. That—that that is the reason, Dominic. What's
0: special about the walking?
1: I, uh, for life of me, I don't know, but that is the official reason why Dominic cast him as Michael Myers. Because he liked the way Don Shanks walked. And and Shanks was told not to see and study the previous films to get any kind of a feeling on the character of Michael Myers. Really? Yeah. According to Shanks himself, he was told not to study the
0: previous films so
1: that he wouldn't have any kind of a precognition on how Michael
0: would work. Well, that kind of explains my problems with this character. It can explain at least some of it. Because how do you act the same character that was already established before? You can just pull out something out of your left pocket and go with that.
1: And At the same time, there is also, I would point my finger even more to the director of this film because when it comes to those shots where Michael is in the background... I get why you are making those shots. You want to capture again the looming presence from the first film.
0: Can I interrupt just to say, why is this character not just staring at the heroines? Why is he wandering around? I mean, it would, would be much more menacing and much more Michael Myers if he would just be standing there. He has been established as being this kind of a robot that he doesn't do any unnecessary movements. He just does what is needed and continues on.
1: That, that and also the fact that if you are not going to use Michael Myers as anything more than a, as a background prop in your scene, why, why do you stay focused on him for such of a long time? Because you are kind of uh, tying your own hands with that decision. Keep your camera so that audiences can clearly see Michael Myers in the background. But you can't have him actually do anything on that scene because he's just supposed to be this looming presence. And then you hang on to that shooting direction for yeah. several seconds.
0: Yeah, you're not letting him any room to escape during off-frame.
1: No, and that, that ties your hands because it, it makes Michael Myers look like a complete doofus who just stands there hands hanging by his sides, doing fucking nothing and it creates trouble for the actor, who still kind of uh, has to come up with uh, some kind of a reason for Michael to be there or do something so that it would not just appear so that Michael is just standing
0: there, staring at the void. Yeah, when I was a kid I wasn't even sure if it was Michael or if it was supposed to be some kind of janitor again or What's the idea of playing this chill rock music in the background and then have Michael wandering around like a douche in the Mm. bushes or in the trees?
1: I mean, just, you know, cut into something else, cut to a different perspective, for God's sake.
0: Yeah, the scene where the man in black is walking to the caratter's house while Mikey's car comes in front of it, it was kind of reminiscent of the, (laughs) The Exorcist in a hilarious way. You know, the exorcist cover with the taxi. I, I remember the scene you are talking about. Okay, yeah. Uh, and the logical fallacies keep on coming. Uh, the police force, of course, is in use of Loomis provided by Meeker. Only on the basis that Jamie's whole body was shaking. And as far as the audience knows, that's that's the case. Then there is the cookie woman thing. And the cookie woman is apparently enough of a clue... To get the whole National Guard to the gas station. And of course they don't notice Michael in the car. Then uh, Jamie is interrupting the day of Rachel and Tina with her visions. When Tina is brought to the school back due to her visions. Tina should then know why she was brought there. Instead she just shrugs off Jamie's comment about the boogeyman being with her earlier. Just says like yeah that's one way of describing him. And there is the fact that since Mikey was already giving the finger to the cops earlier, the real Mike might have disappeared from the gas station as well. But the real questions are, uh, why does she still want to have coitus so much with him after the whole ordeal, and insists on leaving Jamie alone, (laughs) and then later says to Sammy, ask me if I care where he is, it, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't work on any level. Right. Yeah. JB has just told you that your life is in danger. So what do you yeah. do? Go, to, you the go party. to the party. Yeah,
0: of course. The most logical thing to do. With the guy that just left you on the gas station.
1: <laughs> Must have some footlong dick or something like that.
0: Yeah. What do you think about uh, this national geography moment of the film? I'm talking about the penguin walk, of course.
1: I, for thank God, missed the whole penguin walk before starting to make my background work.
0: The bumbling cops were told to walk like penguins. bye Dominique. Yeah, one second. I, I
1: also heard this one. Yeah. But thankfully, I did not realize to pay attention to their walk when I was watching this film. Because I already hate those two cops and these whole comedic characters, comedic reliefs in a horror movie, enough already that I didn't need any more excuses to hate the two cops.
0: I wish this line would have been in the movie, but it had to do with the different costume that was given to Tina in the script. They changed it. Apparently, quote, her body is a painted chalk white and she's almost nude. Except for a bikini of pyramids It's a very strange outfit End quote yeah, I, can, I, I can imagine that, thank you So the Tina quote is Ta-da! Tina, queen of outer space Very fitting
1: Thank god they changed that, <laughs> that That's one of, one, of, one of the changes That I can actually get behind Behind of because The, the, the quote that they go Instead in the movies is at least somewhat better. Yeah. Although it would have been interesting to see how the hell you make a bikini out of pyramids. I have no idea. Me neither. Maybe that's some Swiss-French thing. It's one of those mysteries. If anyone listening this can actually point us into the direction of pyramid bikinis, I would be most grateful.
0: The line would have been good for the actor.
1: No, no, it wouldn't It wouldn't be good No, 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 no,
0: no Also in the script there is a scene where Jamie puts some kind of a hospital staff clothes on And even when one of the policemen notices her He doesn't understand that it's a Jamie How in the hell Like with her height There is no way to fool anyone With that kind of a stunt It's good that they didn't use that one But how the hell did they lose Jamie? It's one of those mysteries again. Part of the supernatural vibe.
1: Yeah, I love with uh, all of these dumb decisions made in this movie, how the tagline for the movie is that Michael lives and this time they are ready. Yeah, super ready. And and throughout, throughout the movie they prove how ready they are. By making check shit and showcasing that no precautions has been made at non- no point in time for the return of
0: Michael. Yeah, more honest trailer would have been, this time they are not ready. And this time he is unmasked but you can see shit and he was already masked in the first movie. And this time you can see that he is smiling without his mask. Where was he smiling? At the A- A-
1: A- end scene?
0: When he gets the mask off for Jamie, he has this like a nice little cute, cute boy smile on his face, and then he has this teardrop in the next shot. So nothing makes sense.
1: I, I, I can somehow see how Don Shanks would be smiling because he, at that point, he knows that the filming is almost over.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> I would be smiling too. He was like a purely a stunt guy, right?
1: Yeah, and that was. When he was called in by the stunt coordinator, that was actually what Shanks was expecting. You know yep. that he he needs to do. He he got the call from the stunt director. You know, just asking, "Hey man, are you free for work? Are you yep. are you busy or can, can you take a gig?" And Shanks was just like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm free. I I, I have nothing going on for me at the moment." And at that point he was he was certain that he wa would be just asked to you know do the stunts for the film. he gets to the set and all of a sudden this coordinator is to him that like the director wants to meet meet with you uh. and at that point, shank started to wonder that why why the hell the director would wanna meet just a low- lowly stunt man but goes to the meeting anyways and it's on that meeting that Dominique hires shanks for the role of Michael and you know Shanks finally realizes what she, what this is all about up until that point Shanks was just you know certain that he's just gonna do the movie stunts
0: the way that he was asked to perform in his audition for Michael Myers was that try to walk like a wood on water, whatever the hell that means. So he did the walk and Dominique was like, yeah, perfect, you are Michael Myers now. I didn't like Wilbur's performance in 4, so I'm not really missing him either. But like, why the hell to go through all that trouble and Mustafa Akkad didn't like the idea either. He wanted Wilbur back, but it was a creative decision of this Dominique guy once again. So he wanted Don Shanks instead, he was taller and he had a different shape of face which meant they couldn't continue with the shit show mask from number 4 so they made a new mask for Don Shanks which wasn't such a bad idea because at least the mask is a, a little bit better kind of it's it's more menacing
1: and i kind of like the fact that this time the mask is cut open from the behind so that you do- you don't have to pull it over your head, like the previous masks.
0: Oh, I didn't think about it. But there's a small cut in the back in all of the masks, I believe.
1: Could be, but, but you know, what I have seen, and this, this may just be editing, who knows, but when it comes, you know, judging by the scenes in previous films and some of the behind-the-scenes photos I've seen... I would make the claim that those masks have to be pulled over your head.
0: About the addict scene a little bit more. The crew was actually given two choices. They could have had a very grotesque makeup for Michael, showing all his injuries that would have given a continuity from Halloween 2. But instead of this makeup, they chose the number two choice, which was to just have a Don Shanks' face there without any special effects. And they went with that. For for the life of me, I cannot understand why because the scene would have been instantly much more interesting if you w- would have seen some kind of grotesque facial features like, what the hell is that? Ooh, fuck. The guy is burned.
1: Then again, all, uh, the burning damage is the only damage given to Michael's face in these movies. That and Lori soothing out his eyes But That was kind of a Plot point that Was Forgotten A long time ago In this franchise Yeah Previously when Michael has Met his end Well that being Pretty much just Halloween 1 And Halloween 4 It's just Gunshot wounds To the uh, Middle torso
0: What do you think is the most Boring scene The most slow scene The most Maybe unnecessary scene of Halloween 5. Because I have an a- answer for this. It's the barn scene. It gets really tired and boring there. It also, however,
1: does have the best kill of this movie.
0: Yeah. Some more farm equipment in good use.
1: Yeah. Uh, Michael killing speech, in my opinion, is the... When it comes to the kills, it's the high point of the movie. Other than that, the whole barn scene is... Completely unnecessary And serves no purpose Except give you once again Another goddamn fake out
0: Oh my god They cheapened the character so much With that stupid fake Michael Myers person So unnecessary Makes you lose interest in the main antagonist
1: I can kind of see What they were trying to Pull off there In a sense that it establishes that speech has been, is dressed as Michael Myers. And then you are sh- uh, shown the actual Michael Myers in a different location inside the barn, confirming to you that there are two persons looking like Michael Myers at the exact same time at the exact same location. So when there are those scenes where the character sees someone who looks like Michael's back at the distance or behind a corner, it, it kind of, it tries to give you the excitement of the audience not knowing is it speech pretending to be Michael or is it really real Myers?
0: Yeah, don't
1: care for it. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Spitz is way too annoying, and th- those two fake-outs, almost back to back, which you get, yeah. are too much. They completely, they at least for me, they take me out of the movie. Yeah. They completely piss me off and make me lose all interest in the atmosphere of the scene and because of that the build up they try to have does not have any effect on me.
0: Yeah and of course it's just introducing more logical holes like where did Spitz get this mask and why is it completely the same as the Michael Myers mask? Or even even how, how the characters actually move inside the barn
1: because they can both both Spitz and Michael uh, pull off this disappearing act. You, you see them walking behind a corner. The camera follows and they are gone into some place. And yeah. uh, there are four characters total inside the barn. One which is Michael leaving three other char- characters. And none of those characters... See each other in a situation that anyone would have any red flags.
0: They're playing incredibly calm when they're pulling this stupid stunt. They're putting the Michael Myers mask on and chasing Tina when the cops are pulling their guns and they're still continuing on with their stupid play. Uh, I would be worried for my life. I wouldn't even go try anything like that.
1: Well, it's 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 like it was in Halloween Four, you know, getting shot by the cops—a classical, practical joke.
0: Yeah. Once again, we repeat this. The barn scene is probably the most interesting scene, lighting-wise. It's well lit. It's reminiscent of the older Halloween movies to me. I would say it's okay,
1: o- okay lighting, like it's there- okay. Yeah. Yeah, there is nothing special. In the way how the barn scene has been lit. In the previous film, I still was able to make the argument that I liked some of the nighttime shots and their lighting and their atmosphere at the end of the film, back at the schoolhouse and when Michael attacks the rep next car in those situations. But in, in Halloween 5, I have, I do not find any scene that would have that kind of effect on me it's basically just terrible 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 and then at the high points it's okay but that's all it is
0: i like the light that is coming through the barns woods on the top of the building but generally everybody's happy when the scene is over and when then we get to the exhilarating stuff of Driving with the car over children, which is actually a kind of a good scene, nice adrenaline scene after the boring barn scene.
1: It's really nice to know, uh, see that even when he's on car, Michael is slow as fuck. He is like a goddamn thirteen-year-old can outrun Michael Myers. Yeah, with a fucking car
0: all the way to the woods. All the way to the woods. Let's say hundred meters, hundred fifty meters.
1: But to. Actually, to say something nice about the car chase scene, which I myself don't really care for, but I still have to applaud for the crew on that scene, because from what I have gathered, all the stunt work on this film was extremely dangerous, because the lack of safety measures on the set. Uh, and this car chase is one good example of that, where they were, they are driving on a field at night time and the filming crew is blowing up smoke to make it more atmospheric, meaning that Shanks can't actually see shit and there are small children running in front of the car. Yeah. Tina's actress, as much as I hate Tina, I still don't have any ill will for Wendy Kaplan and don't wish any harm to her. And I understood that she almost got run over in in making this car chase scene in Halloween 5. Like, she was running in front of the car, turns around so that... She can face the camera for that shot and trips over the cape she's Mm -hmm. wearing for her Halloween costume and Shanks, thank God for, you know, the guy being a stuntman, actually manages to stop the car in time so that he does not completely run over Kaplan.
0: There's a lot of moments like this where you have to wonder what the hell they were thinking because there's... Little kids involved, and there's a lot of scenes that could have injured them r- really badly. For from Let's start from the mildest parts. First part could have been where Jamie is running the stairs and escaping Michael and going to the cellar, which we talked about earlier. Of course, that could be probably secured okay. Uh, the second is when Jamie's in the ventilation shaft and... Don Shank is is actually pushing a real knife through the metal. So if there would have been any miscalculation, she would have gotten knifed.
1: Yeah, and they didn't even, you know, show, use security harness on Daniela Harris while while filming that scene. Really? Well, a- according to Harris herself, no. She just, you know, just had to hold on to hold, hold on with her hands and. Bend her legs so that, you know, she could hold the position inside the ventila uh, in the shaft. So that she does, uh, does not start falling down the shaft and actually end up, you know, getting hit by Shanks' knife. Shanks himself is completely unable to see where Harris's legs are. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they did make some markings. Or inside and outside the shaft. So that Harris has a, had a marking showing her the line above which she has to keep her legs. So yeah. that in order for her not to get injured. And Shanks had lines showing the spots where to hit with the knife. Yeah. And after that, it was simply the actors and up to Harris and Shanks to make sure that There is no injuries when making that scene.
0: Yeah, but if there's no, like, security harness or cable, there is no way to call this, like, safe shooting. None at all. None at all. No, I can't believe that, like, a stuntman would go for this. And then the third part, of course, is the car.
1: Once again, like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah. If we talk about the uh, script, there's actually a more car action, camera car action... When Jamie escapes the hospital, she bumps into Billy. But before that, she's alone. So, the scene is quite ridiculous, so I thought it would be worthwhile to read it here. So, it starts like this. She's out of breath. Her feet are moving by themselves. Uh, Behind her, we can see the Camaro turning onto the street. It travels slowly. Jamie senses it turns. The Camaro moves closer Jamie is in its headlights. She turns back. Seeing the car, she grows fearful. Jamie runs faster, her chest heaving. Her foot lands on her coat. Her hands fly out as she falls forward to the ground, slowing as she scrambles to get up. Jamie can see the Camaro next to her as she rises. She stares at it as it comes towards her. She turns to run. Smack! She hits a tree. Dazed, she stumbles back, tripping o- over the root of the tree and falling backwards to the ground. Cut to, the Camaro door opens. The engine hums as the lights slash through the fog. The shape's feet move towards her. Jamie, petrified, Crab walks back, staring at the shape approaching. The knife gleams in his hand. Jamie curls, reaching her feet over shape's shoulder. As she gives up running, hypnotized by her fear, she doesn't move. The shape is right on her. Suddenly, a high whizzing noise. The shape stops, turns towards the noise. Jamie says, Billy, no! Billy charging on his bike is nearly on the shape. (laughs) Slam! Billy's front wheel smashes the back of the shape's knees. The shape crumples, acting like a ramp for Billy, (laughs) who... Rides up its back into mid-air. <laughs> the shape crashes to the sidewalk. The s- the knife slices up through the shape's side with a sickening squish. So... Oh end, my god. End quote. The, in the script, Billy is introduced also earlier as some kind of a wizard on a bike. And Tina greets her during daytime. And now this comes into fruition, kicking some ass with the bike. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Uh, I liked it more in in the final version of the film When Billy just gets run over Or not even run over Because he got them survives But Almost hit by the car
0: Almost hit by the car But nevertheless He clearly gets some kind of injury to his mouth And do you know what that is so reminiscent to? To the Razor Blade Kid in Halloween 2
1: It's nothing to like the Razor Blade Kid in Halloween 2 It's 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 Completely different.
0: But the shape of the mouth is similar. There's something weird going on there.
1: Well, w- w- what is going on there is the general dumb fuckery of Halloween 5. <laughs> but but with Razor Blade Kid, there was actual point with yeah. that shot. Here it's just
0: confusing. Why here, do you get an it's injury to the mouth? Here,
1: here, it's, just, here's, here it, it's just an excuse to get Billy out of the picture...
0: For, for the rest of the film without killing him. Also, one of Dominique's brainstormings is to have Alan Howard play this uh, very soft, well, plain piano sound. It sounds like a basic Casio synth piano. And it doesn't sound good.
1: What I gathered was that Howard actually just tied the original Halloween theme into one Casio key. And you know, yeah. just push that and then edited it at points. Yeah. I'm, I'm not once again completely sure about this. This is just some age old interview with yeah. Howard. But seeing the general direction of this film, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that would be the fact.
0: Yeah. So we get the synth piano and what, what sounds like a synth piano anyway. And. Jamie's having a smile and a sigh of relief. Like it's finally over when... Myers is burning inside the car. Once...
1: Yeah, once again... Myers pulling Ben Tramer... In, in this one. Since we already cursed about the dangers... In making this movie. Once again... Like complete dumb fuckery... From the side of the filmmakers. Because... At that scene when Michael crashes the car on the tree and the car catches up on fire Shanks was uh, actually inside the car to make sure that you know it's it, it, it got driven against the tree and after that no one in the goddamn crew yelled cut Yep. meaning that Shanks does not get any impulse of the fact that the shoot has ended for that part, and being a professional, he actually stays in the car and eventually ends up staying inside a burning car way longer yep. than it would have been needed of him.
0: Yep. And finally, it was some assistant that told Dominique to actually say something.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean these these are just you know things that I just can't understand. Like how the fuck?
0: Yeah. It's a dangerous movie. Uh, there could have been so many things that could have gone terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, luckily luckily, the uh, the worst I've heard was that... Shanks just got his nose broken... At the final confrontation yeah. when he's been hit by that 2x4. And that's an accident I kinda can... I can understand, you know, just happening. Because, you know, people get injured in making movies and these kind of things do happen every now and then e- even to the best of the actors and most well played actors even they get injured on the set but yeah. not using security harnesses having extremely dangerous nighttime car chases on the field and not yelling cut when a car catches burning and you stop shooting like what the fuck?
0: I know. I can see why they were f- probably the favorite movies of my sisters because they take a little different approach because, of course, it's easy to kind of put yourself in the shoes of a 9 or 10 or 11 or 12-year-old girl. It's kind of suggested that Jamie is 9 here. Actor is probably 11 or something. These movies were psychologically probably the scariest to my sister's and they were barely older than Daniel Harris (laughs) here and I let them watch these movies during the horror movie event and what I feel most bad about is that my my little brother has often reminded me that it was pretty sick of me to let him watch these movies as a kid and I will forever I guess carry the consequences whatever they may have been or may still be so please don't do that, please be a Nice uh, older brother.
1: Well, being a nice older brother means that you let your sisters watch up violent and terrifying shit when they are
0: way too young. That's what I thought too. And that's a that that's a card given fact. Yeah, because maybe I thought about it in the sense that I actually love the fact that I was so young when I saw some of these movies. So I wanted to ki- share the pleasure, <laughs> <laughs> if you will. Maybe... At the time, it's not like the best experience, but later on you may appreciate the experience because those experiences you can have them only then. So
1: that is yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, I corrupted all my younger siblings myself, and uh, oh, yeah. You know, with with all the mistakes I've made as a big brother, and they are many, <laughs> and. Some of the mistakes are really bad and I'm forever sorry about making them. Still corrupting them with movies, video games and heavy metal music is one of the few successes I I have had as a big brother.
0: (laughs) But this following was pretty sick, actually. I never should have done this. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm forever sorry about this when... My sister was maybe eleven, 12-ish, and I let her watch the original Scream and I got the brightest idea that hey I just had bought the Scream costume so better put it on and go behind my sister when she's watching it and scare the living shit out of her. <laughs> the worst idea ever.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
0: Uh, anyway, to the mysteries of Halloween 5, when Tina is on the ground and stabbed in that costume and her legs are crossed, she actually looks like an injured inject. Yeah, I always got that impression. Like Maybe that was kind of stylistic decision again.
1: I, on the other hand, always hated that revolving camera that it, or that spinning, spinning camera <laughs> effect that goes on at the moment when
0: she gets stabbed. Yeah, more of this goofy stuff.
1: Yeah. I actually heard that, you know, the, was it the premiere audience that yeah. applauded at the moment when Tina finally was killed in the movie? Yeah,
0: I, <laughs> I heard the same thing.
1: And I can com- com- completely sympathize with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: God, that was a long time coming. Imagine if it was Rachel's character dying here. It would have been much more interesting.
1: Yeah. Luckily they axed her off way back in this movie. After five seconds of screen time.
0: Another place where I heard that some audience response was heard was when Tina says to Mikey in the car the line, quote, great psycho boyfriend, end quote. So that got some laughs.
1: Yeah. And that That's w- one of the lines that actually has a potential of working. <laughs> I, I didn't much chuckle that line myself, but yeah. At, at least there is something. At least it has potential of being funny, and someone can find it funny.
0: Since we're again in this Komoro, the original mask for Michael in this scene was supposed to be a Ronald Reagan mask. But thank goodness they changed the idea and didn't add any political influences in this movie where it's not needed.
1: Yes, Shanks himself speculized that it could have been simply because they would were afraid of running into legal or copyright issues.
0: Uh, yeah, it could be that too. And uh, that would kind of take me out of the movie. And also, if you look at it these days, then it would make the movie dated... Or certainly kind of trapped into its time. It would. It would have
1: been a maybe fun stunt to pull off during the time when the movie originally came out. And it was still political,
0: but... Yeah.
1: That's one of those things that just don't hold the test of time.
0: Again, more editing problems. Uh, when Loomis is shouting instructions to Michael, who is lurking in the forest, actually is in clear view. Uh, Loomis' voice echoes like it's clearly recorded in a large hall or or similar big studio. It, su- it doesn't sound like he's in a forest. Maybe it's something that a trained ear will pick up quick, but maybe not so obvious for the average watcher.
1: And again, that With that scene, I actually like the bonding that was happening behind the scenes between the actors. ...and the filming
0: crew. Yeah, you mean Don Shanks and Daniel Harris? Yeah,
1: Don Shanks and Daniel Harris... ...Don Shanks and Donald Pleasance, Yeah. ...who went to knock on Shanks' door... ...for that scene... ...and asked that even though Shanks... ...was not marked to be on the set for that scene... ...since Loomis does not see Michael in the forest... Pleasance himself wanted to know that Shanks is there. And went to ask Shanks if, you know, he he could go this extra mile and come to the set and be in the forest for that scene. And Shanks was like, "Okay, yeah, why not?
0: Speaking of extra, the scene at the gas station, the Cookie Woman gas station, uh, the Spitz actor, Matthew Walker... Is playing one of the extras because they were missing a few that night. So he's playing the guy in a leopard suit outside of the gas station.
1: That's what you get when you do your film mostly by with nighttime shoots yeah. and don't pay your extras enough for you know, lure them out to help your film at the night times.
0: And then we move, of course, to again. The group barricading to a house and not calling out some SWAT team or something—it's unbelievable. It's just a repetition of number four. And why are they going to the Myers house? Why do they have to be there? What? what who is approving this? Just whatever Loomis says is apparently gold, and they follow.
1: Yeah, I, I guess Sheriff Meeker just—you know—follows whatever Loomis tells him to do. But, you know, what I found even more hilarious in this scene is the fact that at the first notice of the possibility of Michael being at the clinic is enough for the entire police squad to pull off the operation that they have already made the preparations.
0: All of them leave.
1: Yeah, every single one
0: except that one cop upstairs. Yeah. Was there anyone else? Like, in the script there's uh, another member. Well, on the same floor but I think not
1: well uh, there is a scene of one cop in, inside his car at somewhere in Haddonfield being killed by Michael and the cop inside the Myers mansion uses his radio to call and ask if Eddie which is the cop's name is alright.
0: Yeah. And as we all know, in order to keep the line on, in actually to be able to be heard, you have to keep the button pushed down. So Eddie uh, the he asks for Eddie to respond. Eddie can you read me? And all we can hear is <laughs> which should have ended with over. <laughs>
1: But but still, you know, my tip of the hat to the cop who hears his colleague screaming in agony and just is Eddie, do you read me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) More of the creepy Loomis continues. Charlie, Charlie, I just don't understand why they had to make him like this. I mean, he's just spooky now. And then using using Jamie as a bait for Michael in that way.
1: Yeah, uh, the movie, at a couple of scenes earlier in the movie, there is given the expression that at this point, Loomis is somehow aware of that whole God of Thorns shit. Loomis does not state it out directly, but there are... Few lines about, you know, this darker presence and stuff like that. With kind of a hint in the direction that Loomis would know about the Thorn cult at this point of the franchise. And maybe him acting as weird as he does in this one could tie somehow, you know, him knowing about the cult and knowing about the danger the cult presents. And because of that going the obvious extremes with the situation but I'm already grasping at straws with that explanation
0: and in the follow-up masterpiece Loomis is fully informed about the cult of Thorn from the very beginning saying it's his mark he's come back but that's for the next episode in the script there is a difference how Michael Myers is caught Michael is walking down the steps. Quote, Loomis pounds on the door. Loomis says, Jamie, let me in. I can stop him. I swear it. Jamie. No answer. Suddenly he notices a new sound. A familiar clumping footstep. Loomis jams a hand in his pocket, takes out a clip and rams it into his gun. He turns and freezes. The shape stands. Not ten feet from Loomis. Loomis smiles gold in the gun low loomis says i know why you want her michael she can help cure you she knows it and she's willing if you'll only give her a chance she'll cure you michael of the rage inside the shape softens its grip of the bayonet loomis says you've only got to allow it to happen and it will give me the knife michael the shape waits watching him its knife glints loomis says Why are you waiting? Don't you want it to end? Come on then and take her. Take us both. Jamie screams. The shape lunges. Its foot crashes down on the fourth step. The step collapses. Loomis. Whoops. Loomis. Yes! Jamie is astonished, dangling a few feet from its blade. The shape lunges forward, but the steps crumble beneath. It sinks down. The knife clatters down the stairs. The shape sinks beneath the steps. Loomis rushes to a storage access door under the staircase, opens it and sees the shape imprisoned in a heavy metal cage. A trap hidden beneath the stairs. Two policemen rush in with Billy. Jamie and Billy embrace heavy rattling of metal. And then we got to the police station. So that's, I guess, one way to do it. I still prefer Don Shank's nose being broken. I really don't know. I don't know. I mean... All of these, you know, both of these scenes, many of the scenes in the film and in the script seem like they were, like, thought out in as they were going, like, in one minute. It sounds like something that I would do if you would see my Halloween film. <laughs> it's shot like we didn't have, of course, any script. We just had a camera, and we just started shooting in some location, and then continued with what seemed like the logical next solution from that scene to the next so Halloween 5 seems a little bit like my amateur Halloween.
1: Yeah, but this was multi-million dollar production made by the industry professionals
0: especially the scene where Billy is driving over Michael with his bike. But still this is, this movie up until this
1: point has the lamest way How Michael is defeated. By
0: far. Yeah. And then what happens to Loomis? He falls on top of Don Shanks, like he's having a heart attack. Or like he would want to kiss him. Yeah. (laughs) And at the same time, the floor is creaking in a bizarre way. It sounds like a lion roaring. So my my friend, when he was watching this, he always thought it was coming out of Michael. But he's roaring like a lion just before he passes out. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just a floor. Or then it's
1: just something trying to connect with the... The idea that this would be the exit for... A Loomis as a character. And at that moment, Loomis would finally die.
0: Somewhere I found some information that... Actually, Loomis's character was supposed to be killed in one version.
1: Yeah, I remember... I found a mention that... Uh, The final scene with Loomis collapsing on top of Michael was supposed to be the scene where Loomis
0: finally dies Uh huh Yeah, I can see that happening I just thought that he was kind of really tired and just thought to take a nap on top of Michael
1: Well, at least Donald Pleasence himself was really tired at this point Most likely Definitely with his age and with all these years put into this franchise, you know, I would be tired too. I, w- I actually, you know, I, I would be downright suicidal simply by the act of going through this entire franchise for some internet podcast.
0: <laughs> we got to the jail cell scene, which in itself is ridiculous, and now really humanizing the person that is not anymore human at all. So Michael Myers is just calmly sitting there, playing with his chains, and still has the mask on, and looks down like, "No, okay, I guess this is it. I'm busted.
1: A Haddonfield police station must be the only police station in the entire world that lets a captured criminal to keep wearing his mask and
0: not unmask him. Yeah, did you hear about Sheriff Meeker's Fate. I believe there was also a different version for him as well Where he was shown to be dying or getting some bullets into his body I tried to be very carefully looking at the floor of the police station But I couldn't see Sheriff Meeker there So it's left kind of open-ended I guess in the final wonderful product This movie has a ton
1: of killing that did not end up in the final movie There is, there is the whole scene where Michael was supposed to take out the SWAT team once they leave the, leave the Myers mansion. And that's, apparently they filmed it, but it was cut from the final film.
0: Mm.
1: Possibly because Dominique and Mustafa were fighting quite a lot behind the scenes which le- led into some script changes and sc- uh, scenes being cut from the fil- final film. Yeah. So, uh, I I believe that there... Mo- uh, very possibly there would have been a longer scene of the man in black attacking the police station and killing all the cops. And it's possible that it was shot and just
0: removed from the final film. It's possible. It would have been nice to maybe see some of those deleted scenes, but so far, as far as I know, none of these have really surfaced anywhere, and there must be a lot. Uh, If you are curious how the second draft that I read for this ends, it's basically the same as in the final product, except uh, Sheriff Meeker is the one who goes to the cell door and sees that Michael has escaped and it has blown up and he ha- he is gone. So in place of Jamie, it's a Sheriff Meeker. That's pretty much it. And it's still the man in black who helps Michael in this version.
1: Well, of course, it has to be the man in black because you can't, for any reason at all, not to follow with the cult of Thor and Bloodline you know you just have to see a yep
0: well that was a fun ride roll credits for Halloween 5 what did you think? (sighs) where to begin right?
1: it's not the low point of the franchise as far as I remember some of the later entries in this franchise who knows? Maybe now that we, I revisit them for this podcast, maybe my attitude will, uh, to these, uh, some entries that we are still to see in Halloween will soften. I'm not holding my breath, but you know, who knows? Miracles can happen. But remembering how much I hate what is still coming for us, I would say Halloween 5 is not the low point of the franchise but this is this is the turning point. This is for me yeah. as a person who liked Halloween 4, this is the point where the shitstorm starts and the entire franchise ends up in freefall. And as a person who has some experiences on with the freefalls there is the fact that you have to somehow manage to cut that fall off. Because if you do not manage that, the moment when you suddenly come to full stop hitting the ground, it's gonna hurt like motherfucker. And that's my take on Halloween 5 as a as a film and as a part of this franchise.
0: Yeah, the video that I shared from Dave McRae, this very informed Halloween person on YouTube's he's laying it out pretty clearly that Halloween 5 is indeed the turning point to garbage, or I believe it is Donald Pleasance who said in one article, according to him, an article from the late 80s or early 90s, that in his words, this movie is rubbish and I agree Dave McRae pretty well broke down what is the issue here and how this movie is affecting the rest of the series it is basically the movie that breaks the series and makes it the shit show that it now is because it's opening these ridiculous plot lines that they have not yet figured out how to deal with them forcing Halloween 6 to explain what is going to happen and what this all meant which drives the series into this situation where it cannot anymore rise up from so they made like a sort of a reboot with Halloween H2O yeah sounds
1: about right
0: is there anything that I liked about Halloween 5 well I like I said I like some of the cinematography it's a, it's pretty nice in places I cannot really say anything good about the final soundtrack there are some nice 80s songs that kind of got stuck into my ears
1: I like the scene with Jamie connecting with Michael and that close up on the tear rolling down Michael's face (laughs) like like, in there I, I saw some humanity and some sympathy for Michael and kind of this torn up psyche where Michael himself no longer would kind of a want to continue doing what he does but still is unable to stop himself
0: yeah well didn't like it at all why is Michael Myers crying?
1: I uh, for me that was the moment that still showed that there is still humanity somewhere very deep inside Michael but was it
0: necessary information?
1: I would say yeah it it removes Michael from just being one-dimensional, one-minded killer And gives some internal conflict to him And gives some drama into the presence of Michael Myers Because Michael Myers is also someone who has lost something in his own tale because he's unable to stop even though he would want to
0: stop Uh, i don't care for it i mean i understand that when you do so many sequels then you have to kind of try to add some kind of a backstory more and more and that that is the problem halloween worked the best with the first installment and maybe the second but then it's kind of then everything is starting to kind of fall apart or get confusing and kind of collapse in any kind of believability. That being said, yeah, there are some redeeming qualities in Halloween 5, but on the whole, it's a damn shit show, and I didn't really enjoy even reading the script, but I read it anyway for this episode. It was a mess. Halloween 4 is still fine. I mean, even though it's not a great movie, at least, it's kind of doing an okay job with it has quite a lot of cohesiveness, considering it was only written in 11 days and all that. That was okay. You could still continue it and do a great job, but they just happened to do everything wrong with this one. Remove Halloween 5 and most of the problems of the series could go away. I mean, this is... I realized that also this movie was done in a very short amount of time. They had less than a year to come up with the sequel, which is of course more the fault of the producers like most likely Mustafa Akkad. But uh, even then, some of the decisions that were made here are just ridiculous and it didn't work for me.
1: No, it's kind of a telling when looking at the cast and crew interviews for this movie, where they all kind of point their finger ...at the fact that Dominique was French. Like, that—that that is a returning point for all of them. Dominique was French.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And it starts to feel like... Especially since uh, Daniel Harris herself has stated... ...that Halloween 5 felt like a totally different movie. With that in mind, they, they're bringing up the point... ...of Dominique's Frenchness... ...kind of a starts to feel like... ...everybody... ...kind of a knows that Halloween 5... ...is a bad movie... ...and there is something that went completely wrong... ...with Halloween 5... ...and they all suspect that... ...it's, it's the French guy... ...it's the director... ...who
0: messed up. We have quite a few ex- examples... ...showing that... ...Dominique was too hard-headed... I believe, and didn't understand the series and didn't listen to other people, apparently, or some people just didn't challenge him enough. All in all, it's really hard position, you know, director having these great ideas, and you cannot tell that, hey, all of your ideas suck, so... But, um, it's tough. It's a bad choice for a director from Mustafa God.
1: It is, and I can't see why the hell Dominique was put in the helm of this one.
0: I mean, you just cannot have a one-off and pull these men in blacks and then go do some other things. It's what the hell?
1: Yeah, a sad high point for Dominique's career.
0: Who was nowhere to be seen in the interviews that I have seen. I think he was on one of the commentary tracks on one of the DVD or Blu-rays, so... He's not completely in hiding. He's maybe taking some responsibility of this shit show. As far as I know, he's retrieved
1: back. Yes he would be somewhere in Switzerland or Germany at this point.
0: Yeah, he moved to Switzerland in twenty ten. Don't know if he's still there, but all the best, Dominique. And thanks for the shit show. Yeah. Oh, gotta mention the parrot from the beginning of the movie No, you of don't So-called Dr. Death <laughs> I don't Because the sound of the parrot Is, I believe, not the sound of a parrot at all It is in fact the sound of a willow grouse Also known as Riakko. How, how come I'm not surprised? <laughs> you, can, you can Google the sound of Riakko, willow grouse And compare it to that parrot for fuck's sake, it's completely the same. And this happened by accident because I was visiting Warsaw and my colleague was, for some reason, playing the sound, sound tapes of Rieko Willow Grouse. And then I realized that, hey, he- wait a minute. This sounds exactly like that parrot in Halloween 5. Well, thank you, colleague. Awesome. I will include this to the podcast. Somehow I'm not surprised at all. By the fact that they managed to fuck up even that one. So, about the business aspect, the movie was shot on an estimated budget of $3 million. Opening weekend USA $6,332,000, 15th of October 1989. And gross USA $11,642,000. So, still. It is, I think, to this day, the worst performing Halloween movie of the franchise. But, well, it made its money back. And six years later, we continued with the Wonderful Thorn trilogy to close it on a bang. And this film had one of the lowest international theatrical distributions of the series. It was released in Argentina, Colombia, France, Germany, and Turkey. Elsewhere, it was released straight to video. I can see why. Here we have a case where there really was given no
1: incentive for the audiences to rush to see this one. It's
0: basically the same old stuff without any added value to the viewer. The film had been fighting an X rating and uh, they had to trim some sequences. So they trimmed down, I believe, the ventilation shaft part to keep it rated R. You really don't meet the X rating
1: that often it's rating that's that's reserved for the excessive violence or explicit sexuality so X rating mostly comes into play only in porn films or some really extremely graphical violent horror films
0: I found it kind of weird that Myers is now the killer of kids because he was never into killing children but here he is just happily driving Billy over with the car and the whole plot of trying to kill his sister or niece actually I don't like it I don't like that they've made him like that way. It's not a level playing field. It's just a bit disgusting.
1: Then again you can't expect a masked psychopath to have a code after all One of the original points of Michael was him being unknown. And so Michael having strict rules of conduct would lessen him being unknown as his code would
0: partly define him. Definitely a different relationship than Laurie Strode and Michael. What would you improve in the film? Basically everything, to be completely honest. I would have cancelled the script that they had, said that it's a shit show, and ask somebody to write a better one and delay the movie with an adi- additional year, at least.
1: Again, that's really not fixing this movie as it is making a completely new one. Which, of course, would be kind of the only way to take here because it's such of a complete diseased mess that you just can't fix only one part and save the movie that
0: way. So, your favorite kill scene is Sam, right? Spits, actually. Spits, ah, uh, yes, of course. Well, I would go with
1: that one as well. From the technical side of things, it's one of the most advanced and challenging th- scenes
0: they pull off in this movie. It's kind of a wake-up call from the coma of the movie. Yeah, so many characters that you're so happy to see going. Except Rachel. Then again, with the amount of screen time and
1: amount of, well, basically anything she does in this film, I would say that she's so much cannon fodder that you don't get too attached to
0: her, I mean, in Halloween 5. Uh, if you're going to sexualize her so much and just make her kind of a one more Tina character with nothing interesting inside, then go for it. What's your favorite scene, if any?
1: Once again, it's the attic scene and Michael having
0: that sense of feeling. This is this is exactly my 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 some of my main points of grievance with the film because it's driving this movie series from something that is relatively grounded to something that is supernatural in a completely different level.
1: Then again, having emotions is grounded. Complete lack of them is not. A lot, like I said. I appreciate hugely that one tear. Michael is showing emotion and trying to
0: bond. Yeah. If anything is going f- for this movie, it's, uh, again, Daniel Harris' acting. It doesn't save the movie. It cannot save the movie. But Daniel, Daniel Harris and Donald Pleasence are, like, the pillars of this shit show. My favorite scene good lord, where could that be? Because I don't like the chase scene with the car, I don't like the barn scene, I don't like the bumbling cops, I don't like anything that happens in the caratter's house, Um, I don't like Loomis being spooky. Um, But then again, even though it doesn't make any sense, this scene, the scene where Loomis is being completely psycho and pushing the table on the floor and scaring Jamie, let's say that it's the best scene of the film because it's it's kind of funny. Any favorite quotes? No. Not one. None at all. Not with this film, not with these lines. I kind of still like the laser kisses of Tina. It's not really a quote, but let's go with that.
1: Well, I if pushed against the wall, I could give the psycho boyfriend quote
0: one chuckle. From someone else. And I like the in- entrance of Spitz into the film.
1: <laughs>
0: Bruised but ready. Yeah, you are weird. <laughs> when you think of Halloween 5. The revenge of Michael Myers. What's the first image that comes to mind? End credits. No, well, in all seriousness. It's the attic scene. Once again. The best scene of this movie. Yeah, it's it's either that for me or it's the start when Michael is rolling down the river, coming to the Dr. Death's or Dr. Old Man's house. Like in the fashion of Halloween 4, we see Michael Myers being vulnerable in so many moments, which is exactly the thing that they did not do in the original films. For example, swimming in the river. It's not memorable for its quality, it's memorable for... Being kind of hilarious. Memorable for its a lack of quality. So, what's your overall feel? <laughs> would you recommend Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers? Fuck no! <laughs> Avoid the film. Almost like a plague. No, I would not recommend Halloween 5. That being said, I know that everybody who is excited about Michael Myers will watch the movie regardless. But I would not recommend it for anyone. What is our next film? Kind of a self-explanatory. No, it's... 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 Meet the Fuckers. Well, I would rather take Meet
1: the Fuckers
0: instead of Halloween 6. Well, there isn't totally too many ways to speak about this film. I mean, I feel more chatty about a film when it has actually something going for it, I feel. Here it says disappointment, disappointment after disappointment. And not even very funny. Or I'm disappointments at that. But uh, yeah, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers is our next viewing. And if you are still not a follower of our podcast, then click the button where it says follow. And also you can find us on all the social medias that you can imagine. Thank you for your company. And hope to see you next week when we finish this so awesome Thorn trilogy. Can't wait to join you then. God help us all.